Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Music Seeds, the music that made us. This is your host, Johnny. I am very excited to bring you the part two of the episode with JT Money and Reese Argo. This one's a little bit longer than usual, but I think you'll enjoy it. We go everywhere down the rabbit hole talking about Lollapalooza, which ironically enough, JT Money is at right now in Chicago. Collaborations with musical artists, up to including Taylor Swift, Questlove, Foo Fighters, and Dave Grohl's living legacy as far as what he can do and what he wants to do. Queens of the Stone Age. Releasing music now versus, let's say, 20, 30 years ago. 90s acts still surviving. Our big topic in this episode is the Pearl Jam Versus album, which was released in October of 93. We also talk about remastered versus not remastered. Mono versus stereo. Headphones versus the car. Listening to music in different ways and different forms and how we enjoy to do that. We also go down the little rabbit hole of Barbie. Actually, this was recorded all the way back in beginning of June, so it's kind of ironic to know now how well this movie has done. We kind of reference it here in this uh, podcast. We also go down the rabbit hole of when a band should hang it up or maybe revamp themselves. Here's just some of the topics that we're talking about in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I'm really excited for you to listen to it. And uh, just be aware that this was a Zoom call, so some of the audio kind of goes in and out, kind of experimenting with that and seeing how that goes. I would love your input. You can get all that information at the end of this episode. So without any further ado, giddy up. Hi, this is Johnny. I'm your host, and you are listening to Music Seeds, the music that made us. This was going to be the part two of the podcast. I was blown away, and me and a friend of mine here are going to go, is that the Royal Bloods are going to be here. And they're playing a freaking, like, small theater. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, these guys are playing stadiums in the UK. You know, they're huge. And so we're going to go see them. They're a, they're a, a drum guitar a duo, Reese. They're amazing. Was it Royal Blood? Yeah. Real yeah, it's, it's just no it's bass it's bass oh, sorry yeah i apologize but he, play, but he plays his bass like a guitar like, sorry, yeah, yeah it's really mm-hmm. in the kind of like realm of like a uh, jack in, in some ways you know um very hard heavy really good instrument like bluesy kind of like white stripe sounding you know yeah, yeah. kind of like so, local yeah. h did too like the two the two man act like that so yeah they they sing that song that i was telling you about probably Three podcasts ago, that Typhoon song, yeah, Typhoon. that came out. I remember listening to that. I was like, "This is one of the it's cooler like, songs I've ever yeah, heard." Yeah, it's like just two guys. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. It sounds new, like yeah. something I've never heard before. Yeah, they also have like uh, "I Only really Lie When I Love You," and they have some really just like real. They played Lollapalooza last year, so it was a real good time. Did they headline headline? No, they played later afternoon, like three or four. So. Okay. Kind of sub headlining. I mean, so, they start at noon and they go to like 10 p.m. So yeah, like three or four is like the ideal time to catch a band there because they're yeah. not the super big bands, but like the bands are going to start growing the crowds. Yeah, yeah. and that was that Lala you said. Yeah, and this year, I mean, I have the conundrum that uh, it's on the day Billie Eilish plays, but it's like Carly Rae Jepsen of all people is playing. Oh, yeah. she's, yeah. she's playing at the same time as Portugal the Man. That means like having the. Oh, I would go see Portugal like, the Man before. I, Carly. I know but Carly Rae Jepsen. That would be like a guilty pleasure kind of concert, though. John, <laughs> guilty pleasure. I mean, coming from the guy who's going to see Taylor Swift, you know, like I can't see Curly Ray Jepsen. No, no, I'm just saying <laughs> that Portugal the Man's awesome, dude. You know, yeah. Like I, 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 mean, I, I won't, then, be, yeah. I won't be unhappy with either one, but it's kind of like I'm not going to probably necessarily go see Carly Ray Jepsen unless she'd be bundled in with somebody else. So it's like to be there and see her would be well. And I think too uh, is that the Friday night is Kendrick Lamar and. The 1975? Yeah. yeah. That'd be tough for me. 1975. I love the 1975. You know who also is 1975? Yeah, she's dating. <laughs> she's dating the singer right now. We'll see how far that happens. Well, after he breaks her heart, how that next album is going to be. Yeah. She's been like all country and like indie the past couple albums. She might go full on. <laughs> she might go full on 1989. Yeah. Yeah, she might go punk or something, yeah. 
a friend of mine I recorded this podcast with named Jeremy McCree. He actually sent me like, have you heard of this uh, song uh, by uh, Bleachers and Bruce Springsteen? And oh, I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's Jack. I, and I can't say his last fucking name. Uh, Akna. Yeah, and I go, that's that's Taylor Swift's right-hand person. It's because her talent with her is make these great songs, you know? I mean, yeah. so I was telling him all that. He's like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I go, yeah, he was also in a band called Fun, Explanation Point. He's like, he's like, I have no idea who that band is, but I, I doubt I had listened to a band called Fun. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, you, did you tell him these songs like Some Nights and like yeah, yeah. Are Young? Yeah. No, but I like her, was fun, yeah. her last couple yeah, albums have had stuff by the National. Yeah. Like the guys in the National have like done songs and mm -hmm. written for newer albums. I need to really kind of check them out because like the National are another good band that you can't listen to all the time. You just have to be in the mood to kind of throw them on, on kind of like a cloudy night and just kind of listen. It's not like bright summery day listening. It's yeah. all real. You're not at the pool. No, the <laughs> no, it's just more like drop, it's more like drink a beer, dropping out of just kind of sit on the couch and just like vibe out to it's yeah. just sad bastard music without getting super sad. Like the guy yeah. just like the voice of God, like that deep kind of baritone that just like, mm -hmm. cuts you in two. Like almost like Johnny Cash, like where it's just like yeah, wow. Like, yeah, you hear him sing it. I, I'm calling it here first. I say Taylor starts smoking dope and records an album with the Marley Brothers. <laughs> Which Marley? All of them. Are we going? Are we? Are, are we going to get like? Oh. Are we going to get Ziggy doing like traditional like reggae? Are we get like Damian Marley like welcome to Jam Rock like that would be oh, great. Yeah. Kinda, I'd love to see something like yeah. that. Yeah, crossover. Yeah. Hey, they, they were actually all here uh, last summer. Did a. Uh, it was the 50th anniversary of um uh something with Bob, his their dad. And they were all here, and that's all they did for the uh show was all Bob Marley songs, which I wish I would have been able to see that, but uh, yeah, but yeah, Bob Marley never a disappointment. So John Freeze, we talked about that. This uh, I the new album dropped yesterday too. Have you listened to it yet, guys? I think I've only heard the one single, but I've heard like people just saying like it's just like a phenomenal album. So I'm gonna have to check it out. But here we are. Sorry, I had to write it down, but here we are. Yeah. Is the name of the album. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like an all white cover too. So yeah. I kind of think it's like it was a weird kind of I mean, I I get I get the concept, but it's like, wow, it's like that just is there's some good tracks on there, dude. I'm like, there's one that song that's sometimes like almost 10 minutes long, and it's like art rock. It's the second to last song on there before the last song you can tell definitely uh homage to Hawkins. But the second to last one is like like this art rock thing that I know that Dave likes, you know, Rush and, you know, a lot of alt rock bands, and it's amazing. It's just technically, if you get a chance, check it out. Just technically is just an amazing crafted song. I can't think of it. Could you have it there in front of you, JT? Uh, I'm pulling up about it, but a song called The Teacher, apparently. It's yes. Like the and it's... Yeah, because I, I remember we last time we recorded, we were actually talking about whether or not the band would go on. So it's just really kind of... Yeah. have that come around now just kind of mm -hmm. say like they are and they're just going to keep on carrying on i mean i i just think dave would be lost without music and this is probably the best thing he actually needs therapeutic yeah therapeutic yeah it's like get out there and well i mean taylor's son has been showing up at shows and so is violet his daughter yeah some stuff so yeah she actually sang with them when i saw them in 2021 because that was like the last show in chicago with taylor i'm waiting for her to drop something she's got a pair of pipes on her man and yeah. I, I i like that last track that she did with her dad and chris uh Novoselic. the the three of them did a track together you know that a few years back i think it was during the pandemic it was really 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 good and i can't think of the name of the band that they recorded it under, but it's out there, folks. Because <laughs> well, well, I know, like, every year, like, Dave Grohl does, like, the Hanukkah stuff, too. So, like, he'll do punk cover of, like, Lisa the Loeb's Stay. Like, if you remember that one, that was, like, he has he has fun with it, you know? Like, yeah. I had a friend that uh, I was hanging out with during the um, NHL playoffs here, the, the when the Avalanche were in the playoffs. And, and I was like, I haven't run across a person yet that hates him, but apparently he does. And... <laughs> It was just going off about how he'll never be as good as he was when he was in Nirvana and being like being a very big antagonist about it, you know. And I was just like, nice. Congratulations, you're an antagonist about full on. We probably yeah. talked about this, but one's opinion girl was the best member of Nirvana. Like, I'm not ashamed you're to gonna say. get a lot of hate mail for that, but it's destroying a lot of John Turner, folks. The name is John Turner. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, but I'm just saying if Dave Grohl hadn't come in with like some of those drum lines, I I just think Nirvana would not have been as big as they were. Like you can, he he always has written those drum lines you can sing in your head. Like yeah, when you hear yeah. songs like Teen Spirit, you're not thinking the guitars. You're thinking when those drums come in, 
on that yeah. after that intro after, after those four bars in the intro i feel they're equally as talented uh john so um, i'm gonna leave it at that i think mr Cobain like, came out with some great guitar riffs and and very uh, true but i mean i think dave Grohl yeah. was the the motor that drove that band as fast as they did if it, yeah. it would have been any other drummer that had come in after their first summer left we may have had a different band that came out bigger i mean in the seattle scene and you were talking about how you weren't sure if he was going to continue on with them. And I even thought about that at one point myself. I'm like, does he do a third encore? Does he create something else? And then, you know, he's had, the so many always open projects. That, you know? he's had so many side projects while he's with Pooh. So why can't he do both? Yeah. You know? He's done a metal album. He's done, you know, stuff like I just said with his daughter. He's uh, them crooked vultures. Like that's, yeah. been, that's been a while since he's done that. Well, I'd love to see that happen again. John's not getting any younger, Paul Jones, and um, he would like to do it again, I know, from what I've read. Uh, Who knows, maybe in Chicago, because I know uh, Queens of the Stone Age are playing and Foo Fighters. Yeah, right? oh, that'd be awesome play. to get that, wouldn't it? A little that surprise be, set. Be something. Yeah, Josh is actually dropping a new album with Queens. Yeah, that just came out. That's yeah. that's a real messed up situation if you've kind of read about it. Custody situation with his kids, that's really kind of... I don't want to go too in depth here because it's above our grade, but like just read into it. It's really, it kind of ended up though. He got custody of his kids. Like he was accused of doing some improprieties, but like the judge found that he was more than fit to be a good father. And you've heard a lot of stories about Josh Homme. He's not a perfect guy, but still fit to be a parent says a lot about the person he was married to. He doesn't like like photographers. I know that. Yeah. (laughs) Did you hear about that? No. Yeah. He kicked a photographer in the face. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to show it. And then he, uh, he apologized and said, yes, he did it. And he was like, oh, I didn't do it. And then he was like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> the camera caught you. It's like, yeah, yeah hold on. <laughs> but I like their music. I think, you know, that stuff's, I've, I've been impressed with a lot of the Queen's album. They always write good, if not consistent. I mean, they're not going to have, everything's not going to be as good as like Songs for the Deaf. But I mean, every mm-hmm. album's going to have a couple really good songs yeah. that he just so, did a country album he just produced a country album last year too maybe that's where the infidelity started because she was a quite an attractive uh, artist well she was married to tim armstrong from rancid back in the day oh really she's the, she's the singer of the distillers bro oh, okay i'm thinking of somebody else but go ahead no yeah she was she so she did Tim Armstrong wrong of Rancid and then yeah. did Josh Homme wrong. Man, that's just yeah. well. No, the I was wondering if he was hooking up with this. I think her name is Nikki Lane or something like that. He produced maybe, uh, her. Maybe now I don't know. Yeah. But that's social media father. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling JT yesterday too, uh, Reese, that there was like shit ton of albums that dropped yesterday. Was there? Nathaniel Ratliff dropped an album yesterday. Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. Ben Harper and Ben Folds all dropped albums yesterday. I knew Ben Folds was dropping one, but I forgot all about that one. So, so I, I mean, I'm like, okay, I, I get like I get these periods where like I, I'll look at the releases every Friday, and I'm like, I don't recognize that. I'm old, and I'll listen to stuff just to check it out and everything. But yesterday, I was like, holy cow, there was like a lot of stuff to check out, and um, I only got through one album yesterday, and that was um the new Foo, but I got through like the first three tracks uh, of Jason's, and they're awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of it, though, is with the diminishing of physical media, we don't get like Best Buy ads where you can read through like, hey, this is getting released. Well, at the time it was on Tuesdays, albums getting released. Mm-hmm. Now they go back to Fridays. But yeah. like, oh my, you get this paper on Sunday, like, oh my God, there's like all these albums coming out on Tuesday. Now it's like you have to worry about following them on social media or just seeing something you're not going to get. Yeah. Trade magazines like Rolling Stone, where it's like, I did see quite a bit on Foo, Foo Fighters yesterday. Where it's like, yeah, we're now it's like, hey, Foo Fighters have an album coming out in June. It used to be like, you'd read Rolling Stone like 20 years ago, like, hey, it's coming out September 10th. Like they have it like in big letters. So you had like four or five months, you knew it was coming out. Mm-hmm. The hype would build. Now it's kind of like, oh, we're dropping an album today. Like I could go home and record an album tonight and I could have it out tomorrow. And like, that's just... That was still it's it's, it's, the, it's the good thing, but I think the the marketing, if you kind of build it off, like yeah. get the hype going. Yeah, I think that's been probably been a decade since you know that style yeah. was because like know, it's common. Gonna, it's gonna work yeah. with, like who gets just released on tomorrow. It's gonna have like a billion streams overnight. Yeah. The fan base is tied into their you know either email or social media, whatever. And you're getting all that, you know, sent to you. You know, the bigger the artist, the more you're going to see on those things. And then if they're not doing it, if they're 
against the system, then they're probably not going to see as much as the other ones. But yeah, we're like, oh, you find out like, oh, Ben Harper released it. I was like, 20 years ago, Ben Harper would have been like a big name to. Yeah. Now it's like he's still releasing good music, but now it's just kind of like, oh, like I didn't yeah. know he was. He's a bigger draw here than he is. You know, he's more like main, you know, cities and stuff like that. You know, he'll yeah. he'll get he'll 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 sell theaters or you know he probably still at Red Rocks here and when he does announce that, yeah, there's there's definitely even Ben Fold, you know that. I mean, he's doing theaters and stuff and yeah. I, last time I saw him, he was here at the Adler. But he he's he's one of those artists also that tells a good story in between those songs and stuff too. You know, I mean, he, there's these artists that from the '90s we were talking about this uh, amongst my friends is that. There was so much music released in the nineties that it's amazing that some of these artists are still surviving, you know, and it's, it's good. Talent can only exceed as far as you want it. If you're bringing out shitty material, then you're probably not going to be around like some of those artists that we don't hear about. But um, actually I was just listening last night. I, I think this is a nice little side note is that I was listening to the new radicals last night. I love that. That one album, like yeah. he's like Dan Wilson of Semisonic, where they're back together and doing a tour actually this year with mm-hmm. like Bare Naked Ladies and I think Tonic or somebody for like one of those summer ones. But Greg Alexander, who's a singer, like he's written like exactly artists. Like you read like what he's written, it's like he's he done. Wrote music. Love, he wrote the Game of Love with Michelle Branch and Santana. That was yeah. him writing. Wrote the music to begin again with uh, yeah. Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley. Yeah, like I I still yeah. think that New Radicals album is probably. I wouldn't say top 10, but probably my top 25 albums of all time. Like it just, yeah, it came to me a certain time in my life. And just like the writing on it's just phenomenal. Like, and he decided he just didn't want to live that rock star life, just wanted to write and do his thing. So, and it's amazing probably, listening back to that. Yeah. Yeah. You get yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was also, I was reading through the lyrics last night when I was listening to it and just how poignant it is today, you know, to hear that lyrics and that song because like 20 years later or whatever, you know, and, and how relevant it is to that be that person at that age writing that and then looking back at something that I can only imagine what you know him thinking whoa you know like I never thought that would be a song because I I think he's just a few years older than you are Johnny and uh Mm -hmm. so it's like even we wrote that like late 90s he was a couple years older than like these guys in their early 20s like writing because that album came out like 98 or 99 so it's like yeah a lot of people write making a bigger 22 or 23 he was already almost 30 years old at that point writing pop song i mean it's just like kind of makes you think it's like man like there's never a bad time to get into music but it's just like you're like man he's yeah he'd he, already seen some stuff he'd already been in the game for 10 15 years before he even wrote that album so well and to find a side to create a holder job and still be you know able to be involved in music and you know not a, in the famous realm or the you know the front man he's out there making great things you know and and not unless we bring him up in a podcast like we're doing now you know a lot of people would go, wow whatever happened to them you know and yeah because i mean we were talking about the foo fighters i mean greg kirsten does like writing and producing for them and like he had a he had a pretty good career in the late 80s you know Who's that greg kirsten he did uh gaggy ta uh-huh. who had a they play it all the time on the planet here, so I'm trying to think of that song name. You actually uh, were a, what's the word I'm looking for? You were a vehicle for, or, or a, uh, you were during a time of music that was just so mass produced, John. Like, you were having stuff just one thing after another, after another, after another. Because I was working in that industry, and I just couldn't, just the, the amount of music just being dropped all the time, all the new like there was a one hit wonder, like it seemed like every week. It's, yeah, it's to look back at that. Like I see these like TikToks done with like the songs of like, you know, 1996 or the songs in of 2001 or whatever it might be. And I go, wow, all those songs came out in that year, you know? And some and, of them were great albums up and down. Some are like, yeah, like how did I ever buy that? I'm a yeah. that. I mean, like you get what you get, like you get what you give, like end up just loving that album up and down. Now that's to me, that's one of the weaker tracks on it. That's just something I listen yeah. to because I listen to it as a whole. Yeah, but then like Space Space Hog was another one. I haven't got super deep into them, but like they were massive in England in the meantime. And they were just put in the um, Gardens of the Galaxy soundtrack for the the new movie. Uh, um, I forgot what track it was, but they're they're part of the soundtrack. In the Um, meantime, is it in the is it's not in the meantime? Is it? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. That that's like the big one. That was yeah, yeah. But when they popped up and that's like holy shit, yeah, cool when things are brought back again that you haven't heard in a while. And uh, I actually uh, want to do a whole 90s thing. I was thinking that would be a great, you know, like our 
like I saw this TikTok where the guy was pulling out a CD collection, you know, and just showing all these albums he had. And I was thinking, wow, you know, like we don't have that hard, you know, we, it's all like we're talking about streaming now, you know, it's very rarely you buy a, a CD. I buy more vinyl than I do with CDs now if I do buy anything. But even, you know, then it's like, it has to be something that's one of those, I have to be sure what I'm investing in, you know, yeah. where before it was like, you heard just you that one track, you know, back in the day and you're like, oh, I'm buying yeah, they either buy, yeah, you had to buy the single if they had a single or you had to buy the album and hope it was, yeah. hope it was good. Are, are we better off for it though? Being able to stream and stuff. There's so much stuff out there and you don't know unless you're looking. Back in the day when he was working at Sam Goody, they would get like imported of an album only sold like Germany. I had like a forty dollar CD my collection. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be like yeah. a forty it'd be like a forty dollar C D to buy here. Now like you go online and find it on YouTube in five minutes, be like, that's sure. a cool song, but like in no world would I have ever spent forty dollars, but you would have spent forty for it back to like ninety eight, ninety nine. I gave you a couple of those imports, didn't I? Was that that you? A couple of those imports recently? I'm not sure what Pearl Jam stuff I gave you. Uh, I think there was quite a few like singles. Uh, Benural. Like a lot of those. Maybe there was a Yield single in there. Like Wishlist. 30th anniversary. Sorry, 25th anniversary. Correct me there. Of that now. Which which one? Uh, Yield. Oh, yeah, wow. Like, yeah, we were, they just had that, you know, during record store day in April, they were talking about that. And they released that live album from Australia. If you have a chance, check that out, man. It's, yeah, it's called Give Way. Yeah, which way. is what you say to Yield in like, yeah. England yeah. and Australia. So it's really, really exceptionally good. And they actually didn't put everything on that record release because I looked through the set list and I was talking yeah, I, good friend. Say it was like mastering stuff, or maybe they thought just wasn't. But it's like at that point, just throw it all on, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like Jack Irons, Jack Irons sound a little slow on the beat. Just throw it on there. Yeah, or at least the streaming, you know. But maybe that's all they have for the tape. Because there was some good stuff left off, and I had to talk to my good friend Gretchen, who's a bigger, diehard Pearl Jam fan than probably you know all of us. She she goes, she's going to all the Chicago shows, and but she she actually has one of Eddie Vedder's T-shirts she got off of eBay which that's how tight she is. <laughs> oh, and wow. uh, so she, uh, I was telling her, like there was like at least six or seven songs left off there. That was just amazing. I would have loved to hear what those versions of that were. I find that be uh, a very interesting segue here because um, where were you in October of 1993? Uh, well, he, somebody in this room wasn't even born yet, I don't think. Would I have been two months old, maybe? <laughs> wow. Month yeah. old, not actually born. I'm talking like conceived two months. Conceived, wow. In the womb, two months. Jeez. Yeah, I would have been in sixth grade at the time. Yeah, yeah. I was in college in New Mexico working on <laughs> records. I mean, so that's. I think that just more than anything, that just kind of speaks to how good we are kind of like tying generations you know i mean yeah. we all have like common things but for john to be remember remembering solely eight tracks and vinyl and me remembering <laughs> vinyl like vinyl cassettes and then cds yeah. and then reese being born CDs. into like just the cd cds for me yeah we're just kind of yeah. like and yet we all connect on just overlapping but like we can be like you remember when that came i was like no i was i don't remember anything because i was too young to enjoy that well and the music has to be timeless too you know that helps Yes. For all different ages and everybody, yeah, and, so you know, kinda... brought up during yeah, like different that. generations of music. And uh, I remember, I think the first CD my dad got was, um, I don't want to get the number wrong, what's the old man on the cover of Led Zeppelin album? Four, four, four. okay. And I remember the, that was the first CD my dad got on compact disc. Oh, wow, when we got when we got our first compact disc player, and now, and now, hey. you go, now you go back and listen, it would sound almost even worse than a cassette, yeah. like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like something you listen to some of those first generation CDs. It's like yeah because they were they were not even from the masters it was like just taken literally, from something and thrown on there yeah, yeah yeah somebody literally just pushed play on the tape recorder and they had like the cd reading it and it's like yeah they're that bad because i remember when they started coming out with the remastered stuff i'm like what's the deal okay let's check this out and i remember the first remastered thing i think i got was um peter gabriel was doing it and uh he went back to his master tapes and he did it for us strike that so had the uh album so with sledgehammer on it and uh, I had the original, and then I had the remastered, and I went and I took my headphones on, and I stuck it in the player of the original, and then I went and stuck the new one in, and I could tell the difference. Yeah. It's crazy, like, how that sound quality, we talk about all the time, how that, that's why I always tell people, like, the vinyl, vinyl is, as much as you want to think about that scratching or crackling, it is the superior sound, it's amazing, the things you can hear. 
But yeah. some of the newer remasters, though, they actually make it worse by just making it louder. It, it takes yeah. away any of the dynamics with the music. So you have to take a grain of salt with some things are remastering. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily need to have, like, Yield remastered. Because, like, 1998, it came out. It was probably perfectly mixed. Like, today, they would try and maybe want to make it even louder, which just takes away the living and breathing aspect of yeah. what music sounds like. Live and breathe. And everything is, like, we talked about this album earlier, like, Be Here Now by Oasis. It's, like, so freaking loud. Like, mm-hmm. everything. Like, Noel Gallagher had, like, 78 guitars overdubbed on tracks. And, like, you can't hear that because, like, everything's up to 11. Yeah. Like, I mean, of course, that time he was doing, like, a pound of co- cocaine a day. So, like, <laughs> so he was he was overdubbing it all. That like, I want to have, like, strings in the background. It's like, but it's so loud you can't hear it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, like, it loses all. Bashes. Yeah, it loses all the the meaning when it gets so loud like that but it's cool when they go back and remaster that stuff who is the beatles producer george martin so george martin's son went back and because george his hearing was going he was you know that earlier remastering stuff his son was helping him with that and then eventually he took over and did a lot of the beatles remastering for like you know revolver and then you know these ones that you're seeing now and he was sitting down with Rick Rubin talking about it. And he says, how lucky am I to be able to sit through this stuff? And then I'm hearing guitar chords I'd never heard before or background vocals I never heard before. And and you get to go through and make that clarity, you know, and make sure that you're you're getting that that sound. You know, you're not trying to, you know, change the song up in any way, but you're trying to get that clarity of these songs that have been around forever and just to be able to hear things that you never heard before and speaking of oasis i did that with um on morning glory like i had that in vinyl and i remember sitting back listening to it when i was doing something in my office back at my old place there and being blown away on some of the things that you hear it's just studio quality being a producer being you know an engineer in this field you definitely have this privilege and you want to make sure you're bringing out this great material to go back and to listen to things the way they should be it's great and so you even see it, you know, in like um, spatial audio on Apple and things like that. Now it's, I listen to things for the first time again. And it's very fortunate, you know, to have my hearing to be able to do that. Because uh, as I'm getting older, I, I think that it's going. But um, I uh, I definitely highly recommend, you know, if there's ever an, like an older album you like and you see it get remastered, definitely check it out, some headphones, and you'll be blown away. Like the sound quality difference of something that you may, you've heard a million times, but you haven't heard truly the way it is but i'll say another little hack that i uh figured out was you know how you listen to a song in your headphones and then you just take one headphone off Mm -hmm. you know you listen to like the left side of the track yeah there'd be songs like say like if i was working you know i'd have one off so i could hear somebody talking if they were to come in my office or whatever so i would have that and the song would start i'm like what like that sounds like the song i know but i'm not used to only the guitar and you're like i never heard those notes from the guitar because you're kind of hearing well, yeah, that's power chord. Well, it's because that's stereo mixing. Like, yeah. there's some bands that do mono where you're hearing it in both, which is some people argue that mono sounds better than stereo, but that's just no, I it's just personal preference. It, I mean, it was just cool because I would sit there and then I'd go over old songs, especially if it's stereo mix, and you're like, oh, wow, you know, I've never listened to the drums that way. You know, you can kind of hear the bass and the well, different. Well, sometimes they do that with like vocals and drums, like to make it feel like it's going around. So, pan from the left to the right there and then go, back. Man. So, it feels like it's. A mm-hmm. Leslie speaker kind of rotating. That's cool. You hear that with some stuff too. So Led Zeppelin did a lot of that, right? Kind of like a kind of like a, yeah, kind of like a train going by. You, you hear it louder than you hear it go by. Like you hear movement in the song. Yes. Like, but like say if you over compress and get things too loud these days, you won't be able to hear that as much because you're not getting time to pick up on it. It's just mm-hmm. and they want in both both ears, they just want everything loud. There's some recordings like you'll listen to it in both channels and it'll sound the exact same. Even though they're trying to do a stereo, they may pan it heavier in one. But you're still hearing part of it over in the left channel. As yeah. Well. So it's it's weird. I would say the but, two best places to listen to songs are either one with your headphones or in your car. No, I was just going to say that. I'd say headphones is probably the best way to listen to it, in my opinion. Yeah. Especially straight in, straight into whatever your setup is. If you have a good so stereo awesome. in the car that separates the speaker sounds, it's pretty cool. You'll hear all that stuff going around you. And see. Well, that's another thing that I'm curious to see if it'll work is that MSG sphere there in Vegas. Yeah. It's supposed to be like bad seats because you're like sitting in like a obviously a sphere. Mm-hmm. So the sound is supposed to, there is no bad sound. I'm curious to see how the reviews are on that because that yeah. does pan out. Everybody's going to go see a show out there. Yeah. 
you know yeah. i do i was like that'd be cool fucking yeah. tickets i mean cool. i mean vegas is already expensive enough like True. even <laughs> go see like Cirque du Soleil show, you're paying like two, three hundred bucks to go see it. Yeah. Well, one thing I don't think people realize too is I think there's something like 70 something shows every night in Las Vegas. Yeah. So you're competing yeah. with everybody. I mean, we have residencies of like, was it George Strait did one there? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something I know. like a real strange one that was like Mariah Carey. Like, Mariah cool. Carey had one for a while. Celine Dion did before she started having her health issues. So it's and, I, just, I think that's why I wonder if that sphere, you know, if it becomes this like that's the Uber audio but place. I, I know, but people I, might love that. But I've also read it's really constraining because the amount of money it takes to put on a show there. Oh, like you're not going to be able to get like yeah, you're not going to be that. like, hey, Jack White's coming through town. Let's throw him in there. It's going to have to be somebody who's going to be able to build their show around it, which keeps those prices high. Oh, for yeah. sure. It's like if they could get it where it could just be any act could come in and play it like a like a Mark or like the Ball Arena, United Center, no, like yeah. MSG, like places like where any artist could come in, like you have to tailor your show to work around that to get the most out of it. Because like, why are you playing there if you're just going to be playing yeah. straightforward music? I'm just so curious to see how that's going to be yeah, like, implemented yeah. like, as far as visually. Like, what is the visual difference sitting in a sphere versus, you know, your standard mm-hmm. 2D? Well, I heard the, can- the screen screens they have up are pretty symmetrical, too, the sphere itself. I, I, I Months ago, I looked okay. up what kind of, like, the dimensions and a lot of that was. But they haven't announced yet who's going to be performing after you, too. I'm kind of curious. How many seats is it, do you know? The capacity? I said, how many seats is it? It's 18,000 and change. Thank you. Okay, so that's... It's saying eight, eight, 18, six. One and a half marks, basically. So that's it. Really, won't be a bad seat. I mean, there's not a bad seat at the mark anyway. Really, add another six thousand seats. There's what? Just bad audio. Sorry. Yeah. I said it. Don't say that. <laughs> I know it wasn't built for that. Yeah, it wasn't definitely. You can tell. Well, I feel the same way about the arena here. The sound quality. You know, I I can go to Mission Ballroom or Red Rocks and have a better show than being in a big stadium. So. But I will be going. I will be going to shows there still. I mean, I'm planning to see in Depeche Mode in November there. So I, I think it just depends on how good the sound sound engineers are for that show. I mean, yeah. well, that's part of it too. If, if, you, they, if, you, they, if they play that place before, they know how to kind of dial it in. I mean, Chris Stapleton sounded good in the mark because he, he's not super bass heavy. I mean, if you get a big room like that and get super bass heavy, it just rattles all over. Like, yeah, if you're playing loud, it's just getting getting dialed in. Like, you don't have to be loud to be in no. your face if you can get it done right you turn it down son you're being too loud yeah huey lewis had it right you know <laughs> it's like and now we're actually older than he was in that movie i watched it it's like holy hell like when he's like freighters too darn loud it's like he wasn't you know even talking about reese that sounds familiar but back no. to the future okay if you are yeah. back to the future the teacher who says you're too darn loud that's huey lewis so huey lewis in the news okay i didn't even know that yeah wow he just didn't bring the power of love he brought acting to the movie <laughs> Well, he could have brought some heart and soul too, but <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> All right, so we were talking about where we were in October of '93 because to me, that I will always remember hearing what was at that time the self-titled album, but now is known as Verses by Pearl Jam. And in my opinion, it's you know it's a lot saying a lot, and John will argue with me because he has his opinion, but I think it's their best album. I really. I- as a beginning, I wouldn't, album, I wouldn't disagree entirely. Yeah, I know you're you're impartial to uh, Yield more. Yield is a good one. I mean, I think those three albums. I think I think Vitology and No Code are kind of where they went like White Album, where they were just kind of like yeah. at this point they bought Ticketmaster, like you know what, screw it, we're just kind of do our own thing. We don't care who listens. Where it's like, mm-hmm. I think everything was just stronger on Ten Verse and Yield because they were just more straightforward songs, not trying to be. Yeah, off the wall. They were just like, we're gonna write well, like, like more like there's like because that was also after they got done working like Neil Young. So I think that kind of reinjected them more with the straightforward rock. Well, and you gotta understand too that they kind of already had plans for what they wanted that album to be. Definitely, um, was it Jeff and uh Stone, or was it just mainly Stone kind of had stuff already written out for 10? I thought you know they had a few of those tracks and they kind of added the lyrics to it and everything and this is the first album where they yes you look at the song writing credits i think i I think 10 was more like a stone thing so you look at it's like the stone stone's like the unsung hero he's kind of he's in the background he's not doing much like you see some of the songs he's written it's like 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's to me they're like that band where you can't really take away a piece. Like he's no. he's like their George. He's it's like weird. Their, he's like their George Harrison. Like unless you name the David Bruze. Well, that honestly, that I think is the main driver of why it's the best album. That's my honest opinion. Okay. okay. I think he's the best drummer they had yeah. before Matt Cameron. Okay, because we're not going to get into that poisonous thing where it's like, yeah, no, no, been good since Dave. Like, no, like. Crap on, crap on Matt Cameron. It's like Matt Cameron is like probably after Josh Freeze, probably one of the best drummers of the past. And I don't even know if he's like years. Like, well, and I don't even know if he's like live one of the better drummers, but I'm just saying sound wise per album versus just hits mm-hmm. differently. It's one yeah. of those albums that everything seems like it's it's cranked up a bit. There's yeah, not the a song, song. The songwriting, the instrumentation, the lyrics. I, that's why I think everybody gets credit on it. Like every track, it's everybody. Yeah, there's not one person above the other. Because I read uh, and kind of researching, like, they didn't want to have like, any real promotion for this album. Like, they didn't have any videos. They had six singles on this album. Like, six songs were sent to radio as singles. There's like 12 songs on the album. I love her. That's like almost, even today, yeah, that even t- back then, it was unheard of to have that many singles yeah. off of the album. Oh, yeah. And there's still, stuff, there's still stuff you'll hear on modern, well, not modern anymore is the oldest radio, but yeah. Well, I mean, what you'll, you'll still hear it. Uh, I mean, eleven tracks, twelve tracks. It's twelve, yeah. and then six six of them were sent to rock as singles. I mean, we have uh, daughter, animal, elderly woman, go, dissident, and glorified G were all sent out as singles. Not one video. Yeah, yeah. That was actually one of the singles I have is dissident. I remember you that. Mentioned one of my favorites in there, and that's rearview mirror. Yeah. That that to me is like they're a live track that oh you want to yeah. elevate the show I mean, you're gonna drop I, that song. I didn't go as far as we did with ten to kind of come up with like the rank of the entire. I mean, I gave at least my quick top five of yeah. like on that album. Like Rearview Mirror was number one on mine. Oh yeah, it, I mean it is an amazing that, song to hear live. It just because it kind of it kind of just builds. I mean, yeah, literally, literally the songs about him like driving away from like something going on. Like you can just kind of like it starts building up at the speed of a car to me. Like it, like that. No, 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 no. Like and like then the drums come in and. Well, I, I feel this is how I feel with Pearl Jam too. Is the more I've listened to them, especially as you get through these albums, I would go through periods where I was like, No Code's my favorite album. I don't know why. I just started to love. I felt like the more and more I was listening to it, I understood it and started to like it. But this album, I've never gotten tired of. No. <clears throat> every every other one, you can kind of like, I'll pass on a few of those, you know. But this album, to me, is front to back. You never have to skip a song. That to me is masterpiece. When you make something, that's mm-hmm. put it on and that's it. And what I'm wondering is, is they were touring, you know, extensively like crazy. It was never ending, you know, when that ten album was such a success for them. So, like, from 91 all the way up until when they hit the studio in February of 93, they were touring their asses off. So they had to have, like, a bunch of material, kind of, or at least music ideas, chord ideas, you know, lyric ideas, and then just kind of blended it all together once they hit that studio. And, I mean, you can definitely feel Eddie even more, his emotion, his mind, and these lyrics. I think that's why, you know, I'm not going to try to beat a dead horse here, but Rear of Your Marriage, like, things are much clearer now. Now that you're in my rearview mirror. And I mean, there, there's so many songs in there that touch me, like personally, what am I, 19, 20? A young man, you know, discovering life and trying to find himself and hearing these lyrics on this album, just, you know, I would be a lying, you know, man. I mean, now I'm at my age now where I think I cry about, you know, anything. I see a commercial, I cry, but <laughs> I was emotional when I heard this album because I was dealing with a lot of shit in my life. I mean, my parents are going through a divorce i'm trying to find myself in school and you know in a different state and i'm just trying to find me and you know and this album drops and it vilifies why these guys are my favorite band and why they I still regrets this day i wish i was still in the fan club i was in the fan club at that time and because i related to them felt like finally music was speaking to people it wasn't pop not to say pop's, you know, a terrible thing. I love pop music. I, I still listen to a lot of pop music. The only other band that really did that for me before then was Depeche Mode in the 80s. And because if you listen to some of that, you'd understand, too, why they were, you know, hitting home with me. I remember the time and the place when this album dropped. I remember, like, I remember working in the store and I remember listening to it and over and over and over again. And 
I think the big one at that time was I definitely had a place in my heart for daughter because at that time, my dad and my sister were not talking. I definitely had, you know, when daughter came out, I was like, I felt that too. But like you said, your favorite, Reese, Dissident. Why is Dissident your favorite? Because I, I can tell you mine and go on and on about it. Well, I don't know. that I wouldn't even say Dissident's my complete favorite. I think I've gone back and forth like four times with like a ton of these tracks. But as I go through, I don't know, just the sound-wise, I've always liked Glorified G. I know it's yeah, the, one of the weirder ones. I'm putting it in front of Bright, uh, Reese, my top five. It's one of it's- those songs that... It obviously has a statement to it, but it's also just... I kind of read the story about it, too. Like, you read what it... Well, it just feels like it it kicks in. Especially, I think it's how the track listing is rolled out. Like, start off with Go. It's probably one of the better songs to ever start an album with, because mm-hmm. it sets the tone. But then Animal, Daughter, and then Glorified G took it back to the up-tempo, in my opinion. Yeah. It, like, usually those are kind of the in the middle where they slow it down a little bit. I always mm-hmm. loved that Glorify G. They were kind of like, no, we're going to stick like this hard rocking one right in the center. So, yeah. I don't know. It's tough for me. I honestly yeah, it, pick one over the other. I mean, yeah, like, because Rearview Mirror is Johnny and Mai's favorite. Then I put Dissident for my number two. Number three, I had Rats. Because Rats just has kind of a real weird feel to it. Like, yeah. And it's real weird yeah. chord progression. It goes from like a G, ma- G major to an E major, which doesn't really make sense because like E minor would be the typical chord you play after G major. Yeah. So like just doing those weird kind of chord substitutions and like that it, they're using in the song. So. As soon as you say that too, like I can just instantly hear the opening. You know what I mean? The like that. Yeah, that's and one then, thing I've always liked. Yeah, and then I have like glorified G at number four and animal at number five. So it's, it's like, it's hard. Like with so many good songs, you hear elderly woman all the time on the radio. You hear daughter. all the Yeah. Time. They're great. Yeah, songs, but you but have to admit when you hear elderly live. Yeah. It's oh, like, yes. It's, I mean, they all hear every person singing that song. Yeah. When they played it and they opened mm-hmm. up with that, like how else could you come? Like they're, they never play a city of like 30,000 people anymore. They come and like, they open up yeah. with that one song. Yes. There's probably not a more fitting song they could have ever played. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. And then they did the special song, you know, the Moline song for mm-hmm. people. I'm like, that's who, how many artists do that? You know? I mean, it's kind of funny. He cool. never, it's kind of funny. He never released it, recorded it. Cause he said like, well, I wrote a new song, but like they would never throw it on like a no bonus one. I mean, it doesn't mean much to anybody else, but it's just kind of cool. Cause like, Everyone knows about that show because of the no code. They had never played no code in its entirety. It just would have been like, okay, they played like Des Moines. And it was, well, one was had by all. And the way John is speaking to the lyrics and how it personally, you know, hits home, especially back when he was younger. I think that's what they do with their crowd. And that's why they've been able to grow where they're at is it's the little details like that. Yeah. In my opinion. And now if that's just Eddie who thought of it and so be it, but I think that's a band. They know. know. Look at that audience. I mean, you do see, a lot of females in that audience. Yeah. You look at these middle-aged men like myself that were these young men when, you know, these guys came out and how they were a transition in our life. Before we had glam rock and, you know, and our hair metal and shit. And here comes, you know, this band that is paying homage to, you know, like you said, Neil Young or Zeppelin or these bands that had this artistry and these songwriting techniques yeah, because at this point, I think uh, Jeff Ament just turned sixty this year. So at this point, they were all like thirty years old. They weren't, they weren't exactly kids, but they weren't full grown men. They were kind of in that transitory period too, like mm-hmm. like Reese's. Reese's thirty, and yeah, they, yeah, they they were feeling their own. They were trying to put into their art the emotions and shit that we we saw this shift. We saw this major shift in um, culture. And, you know, in some ways it was like the sixties, like we felt like we had a part of this movement of change that we were going to do better than our parents. You know, we were going to be better people. We were going to do yeah, more and, and fight for the causes that we felt. Cause this was almost six months to the day that uh, six months before the day, almost to the day that Cobain committed suicide. Cause I mean, that yeah. was, Kind of like, because six months out of that would have been like April of 94 when that happened. So it was kind of like, yeah, because I mean, that's probably about the the height of the grunge. Because I mean, because then after that, obviously they followed up Vitology, which just kind of. And they were kind of, the media made them to the rivals as like the top two battling for the top spot. Was and the they, made, yeah. they weren't. No. And Eddie liked each other. And they, yeah. it was the yeah. media that. 
They all did. Like I can't see Soundgarden all that. He just they doesn't all... seem like a guy that's going to hold a grudge no. against anybody. Like ever. I don't no, know. I don't, I don't think. Any, I don't think any of them were. I mean, they all realized the more people are talking about Seattle, it's the better for all of us. You know, it's well, like, and they were they were in touch with themselves and not media. They weren't trying to. You know, like some people today getting clicks, they weren't trying to get noticed. They were just let well, the material speak for itself, let the music speak to, for itself. You have to kind of view it too. I mean, because we've talked about like C.B. Ray Vaughn before we've talked about Neil Young. I mean, that's what Pearl Jam based their sound off of. Mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain was just more like that sludge punk, like just real kind of what he was doing. Then Soundgarden was like blues and jazz, just set to like heavier <laughs> stuff. Because like the stuff like Matt Cameron played on drums, playing like 6-8, 7-4, yeah. like time signatures that you don't use in contemporary rock. I actually was having a conversation with somebody the other day about Cornell. I go, I think it's sad now of his death that he's getting more recognized for his talents than he was when he was alive. Here's a man that both songwriter, musician, and vocalist who had this amazing talent. And in my opinion, we are fortunate enough to see him, you know, and yeah. and appreciate that. But it's kind of cool when you see these younger generations start to discover, like, that's their classic rock now. You know, a lot of these bands, you know, they they see that. Even rediscovering, you know, Nirvana and Kurt, it's amazing now seeing all that. I think that's why bands like Pearl Jam has stood the test of time is because it, it's down to the material. It's down to the art. It's down to the, is your emotion into it or is it a catchy tune? Now, you can write a great catchy tune, don't get me wrong, and many pop hits. I'm going to go back to our girl, Taylor. She also puts emotion into her songs, too. She's got a lot of stuff out there that has a lot of sentimental, a lot of heart and emotion and tragedy in her. Because you you could keep on producing hit after hit, but it's it's even like Lady Gaga, for that matter. Or There's a lot of people that will get themselves to a certain level and then push and test the boundaries okay i'm gonna tie it right back into the, the what we're talking about here with pearl jam and they were able after this album okay here's the songwriting here's the music then they went and the next album pushed a little bit and the next album pushed a little bit okay we're gonna try this and this and that's what you have these group of people that are trying different things and bringing things out you you basically get some surprise gems that you never thought you would have we we talked about all the stuff that you're releasing off of they released it out to rock radio but you're right, Reese. When you hear those first few chords of rats, you know that song. It gets people going. And that's the test of time with material is what I'm getting at, is, is that you can actually write a great song and it might have to wait 10, 15, 20 years before you get the recognition for it than you did when it first initially came out. That's this album, like you said, beginning to end. You know, you look at all these songs and there's not a time when these songs are not played on, on their tour. I think, too, like... Kind of going to the end of like what uh, Stranger Things did, like all of a sudden you just pick a song like Running Up the Hill. Yeah. And like it's just some song from 20, 30 years ago that gets thrown into a show and all of a sudden it just reignites yeah. interest. I mean, you could throw a random Pearl Jam song. Like, I mean, actually, because this song is now like almost 15 years old, but uh, Just Breathe by Pearl Jam was in like the uh, end of Clerks 3 by Kevin Smith. So, and like that kind of brought that back. I mean, because like when I saw him, he was just talking about not only how much more it would have cost him to have that over the closing credits of the movie versus when it was in. Have you, have you got around to seeing that movie yet? Not yet, I will. Because I don't want to spoil where it shows up, but I mean, yeah. that's something in the Q&A, like, I think Pearl Jam let him have like 50 grand, but he said like if they had put it over the closing credits, it would have added like an extra 100 grand to the price of the song. Holy crap. And I think that's just, I think that's maybe, I don't think if they don't own their publishing rights, maybe if they own some of it, but like mm-hmm. the record label says you have to Putting any song over an opening or closing credits just adds so much more well, I money. Like I didn't know that until oh, I kept yeah. how many people how many people after that movie went and downloaded that song? Yeah, true. I mean, when you watch like Johnny Knows Me, like you watch Fast Times of Ridgemont High, you know what song opens up that movie. Like you got the beat. Yeah, like you know like how much money the go-go's paid to have that. Well, and kind of tying it in with uh what we were saying earlier, and is it good that at your fingertips? I can go back and see an entire catalog of a band. It kind of, I see the benefit and basically the generation that grew up with Pearl Jam as it grew, such as yourself, John, you know, you, you take certain songs like Rearview Mirror, let's say that's kind of your guys' song. Let's say that's the majority. Everybody loves that tune. Well, you know, you get to another generation that thinks differently than you. Yeah. Well, they're fa- you know, they might be, they love no code that becomes like their album and then they take that and roll with it i think there's more of that going on than there is i guess us sticking with the same 
album like hey we listen to verses all the time we love it whereas they're going back and like i've never heard of this this is yeah old to me. You know, like, i think no code is kind of like their white album so to speak we're just kind of like we're like we're gonna do whatever we want just throw it at the wall yeah it's wild it's, 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 it's like the white album has some good songs but like as a whole it's just not my favorite beatles album just because they're just so it's there's yeah. filler on it per se i mean there's some good stuff but like it's not my go-to it's something you got to be in a mood to listen to it's not like you're more rubber best. soul revolver we could throw it on and be like i'm listening to this from start to finish i don't have to worry about i gotta listen to like 20 minutes like <laughs> revolution nine at the end where they're just like <laughs> <the> sound <laughs> yeah well if you're more of like a ukulele songs guy from Eddie vader or what I need to listen to that one and check that out. But like, dude, it's actually very good. I'm saying he's just not, but he's <laughs> unafraid. He's unafraid to do what he wants. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Vedder would call up Taylor Swift and be like, do you want to record on a song? Like he oh. seems like he'd be game. And I Dave Roll too. Like he'd just be like, yes, I want you to sing backgrounds on this. Like yeah. he has like, no shame. No, I agree. And I think like, I think, but I think it's too, like we were talking about like when Johnny was saying earlier about like coming back to pop music. I think you throw pop music away like in your 20s and so forth you come back to the older you get because like you know i don't care who cares i listen to abba or yeah when you're in high school people find out you listen to like abba for sure yeah there's a stick i think i think it's like the older you get like he's like okay i'm gonna call her up she wants to sing on it or whatever then go ahead and do that i mean that's absolutely better worse i don't like this cover but they play it all the time work like dua lipa working with elton john like oh yeah yeah on that rocket man, it's like perfectly fine for what it is, but it's I like, like Dua Lipa. She makes I, I like her too, but I just don't like that cover, like where they sample Rocket Man. Like I love her yeah. other stuff, but it's like just the whole a little too close. It. She's gonna have the biggest song of the summer. You're here to hear first. Like uh I mean, I mean I, I love her song Levitating. That's an amazing one. It's mm-hmm. like she's got a song that's out now for the probably gonna be one of the most surprised hit movies of the summer, and it's Barbie. Oh. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I was talking to them, uh, my friends about this last night. This is going to be one of those movies that's going to be you're going to go in thinking it's about one thing and it's going to be about something entirely different. Unless you know who the writer and director of this movie is. The day I heard they were doing this movie, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be interesting because uh, there's going to be a definitely social commentary on the male female stereotype. It's going to definitely play into like misogyny and you know and a bunch of things because um the director is greta gerwig who did a movie called ladybird a few years ago that was really good and then um, i remember hearing about that one no no i always screw up his name bombrick i think it's his last name and he did a the squid and the whale and he another movie i like called greenberg with uh ben stiller that had greta gerwig in it also they're both the writing and directing team of this movie and it's it's going to be interesting so tying into Dua Lipa's already getting a lot of she's like I think it is like the number one song right now and I can't think it's dance something I can't think of the title sorry it's catchy it's it's going to be the probably the big soundtrack of the year there's nothing wrong with you know like I hate to get these elitists out there like fuck this fuck that you know it's whatever makes I've said this since the day I created this show what makes you happy if you listen to music then whatever makes you happy go for it that's why i was not afraid what's that i just don't get how that still exists especially people like gatekeeping you know it's like a band i've been turned on to i mean it's been turnstile like they're just they've opened up for blink 182 but i saw them at lala plus like their earlier stuff is more like hardcore hardcore but like they're kind of starting to tie in like new wave influences with that i could just see like hardcore fans like you sold out like when metallica cut their hair it's like you can't gatekeep what a man wants to do you know like people gatekeep pearl jam back in the 90s like that just would have been i agree yeah they, especially they give into that it's like you can't record something like no code it's like i, I want to hear nothing but 10 10 10 10 yeah. 10, 10. Yeah. they wouldn't have been as interesting a band if they'd stuck with everything on 10 as good as those songs are i don't, I don't need to hear 30 years worth of a lie being rehashed every single album well what's the uh what's the metallica album that they get a lot of flack for is it reload that yeah called? well it's I think it's one of them, yeah. I think the Black Album, yeah, like, the Black Album was their first one though, because like they cut their hair, they became on MTV. But uh, but it's one of the best albums ever. Now, you no. retrospect, you go yeah. back. Well, they didn't all cut their hair. It was the thing is just Lars that cut his hair. <laughs> I know, but then like the early nine, no, like the mid to late nineties, I think they all cut their hair too again. Like and the reason why Lars cut his hair because he lost low, it. Whatever. But the fuel, fuel yeah. song, give me fuel. It's a fantastic song. I don't care what anyone says. What's I'm good at is that. Even their new album, a lot of people gave them shit. And I liked it. I think it's a decent album. I think it's really good. And I I have a couple friends, a couple I record this podcast with that were just like, no, Metallica sucks now. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's, you know, your opinion. And in the words of Mr. Lebowski, you know, 
Well, that's just your opinion, man. You know, and I mean, what do you what do you what do you <laughs> expect? Sure. What do you expect a bunch of sixty year olds to be able to do? Like they've dug in and kind of kept their sound the same. I mean, I've seen Metallica twice. Like you've seen them once. You've seen them enough. Like they're in the ACDC vein. Yeah, it's like you know, you what know you're what getting. you're getting. It's boom. It's there. It's it's like that's what they're saying. I like that. Like, like everyone shits on Lars Allward for being a drummer. It's like he's the best drummer for Metallica. Like he might not be able to play in any other band and sound good, but he does. He does well for what he <laughs> does. Like, I've heard people say that though. I like, know poor Lars. It's like the Mustang definitely had a lot. Um, oh, don't even get in the Mustang thing. He'll he'll hear this and he'll come. On, I want to tell you how he was the best member Metallica ever had. And, like they would be shit without him today. Like. If you read some of the stuff, like he nonstop, like will shit on Metallica, like mainly uh, uh, Lars. Him and Lars hate each other. I guess he doesn't so much not dislike. Uh, um, but he wants to tell you, like, even though he only recorded stuff on their first album and a half, like I wrote all the band's big songs. Like, no, no, <laughs> just simple. No, no, you did. Like, well, did, that's did the thing now too is that write, like one, you know, you, somebody leaves a band or gets kicked out of a band or dies in a band and. That tra- that sh- sound changes, man. The, the the style changes. The ideas change. You know, like hearing Mick Fleetwood say that Fleetwood Mac's not getting back together again is like what? You know, like, they shouldn't though. They are. He said, or they won't be. He says they're not. He says they won't. Yeah. He'll. He's going to do other things. Well, which, without Christine, without Christine McVie, that band wouldn't yeah, be. I, I do think that there's she was not with them for years before she, you know, I know, but back she was she wasn't the original, but she was one of the core from like the early seventies, and then yeah. she left. Because like nobody knows, like they released an album like 1994-95, because that's when both like Lindsey Buckingham and Isn't it somebody called, else like, were gone. Save the dance or something like that. No, the dance was their comeback, but like let me see what it's this like. Album they're in like stuff. a field. The cover, I can see it. Yeah, it's like a, a lady in the field or whatever. But let me see, but there's like two songs off that album that are worth listening to, in my opinion. It was uh time, time. Okay, but that's not even that. That was before Christy died. You know, they tried to reincarnate it again with you know Mike Campbell and um. Was it Tim Finn? One of the Neil, Finn Neil, Neil Finn. Neil, Neil, Neil Finn. Finn. Thank you. You know, from Crowded House. Thank you. Crowded House. Got a harmony and a guitarist, basically. Yeah, it's like you needed two people to do the job that Lindsey Barton yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people were saying this, like, I'm not saying anything bad about those two guys because they're both phenomenal in their own right. But it's like, it's pretty telling you need to hire two people to do one one man's job. I give respect to, you know, him saying, you know, Mick saying, okay, we're done. Is a, he's, at, he's at an age now where he's a lot older and he can do side projects and stuff. And he's... He's got enough catalog and money to do. Oh, they yeah. sold. I think they sold their catalog for like a shit ton of billion dollars or something like that. Oh. Then you have bands like Aerosmith having their farewell tour. You know? And I've never seen them, but it's at that point where it's like, I don't know if I'd want to go see them just because I don't know like how tight they are with the vocals. I mean, Steven. the way he's saying he's done it for like 50 years where it's kind of like, you know, he's not going to hit the high notes like a McCartney anymore, but it's like still then it's like. Well, he's got legal problems, so. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. you know, I think there's that there's a certain point where you're like, okay, let's hang it up. It's done our thing. We because they can all do their own thing. You still or until they turn into with another artist. You, like uh, Nancy Wilson's on tour right now on her own, doing hard until they turn until they turn into like another Kiss going on a farewell tour for the last thirty years. Farewell number twenty hundred or yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, the end of the road tour until the end of the year too. Yeah. <laughs> Still, we need some more money tour. Yeah, they should call it one more paycheck tour. Just need more yeah, more yeah. Paycheck. They, they're, paycheck. And then, no, I mean, there's bands out there. Like, I think the pandemic brought other artists back together because, like, this year is like there's so many '80s bands that are back together because they're like, well, fuck, man, you know, this might be it. You know, I mean, we might might as well do this now and might as well, you know, make the money while we can. If some of these tickets for these other artists are too huge and you can't get a ticket. So I think it's, you know, cool that these other artists are out there touring to make up for that, you know? like I was going to say, because, like, for Blink-182, I was, like, just buying tickets, even, like, day of show. Like, they weren't, they didn't drop, like, 150 bucks. That was sitting in the upper levels of the United Center. It's like, I love Blink, but I would never pay that to go see them. Who's like, the, now they're together again. Maybe they'll go back on tour next year. It'll even out a little bit, people who saw them, but. I actually got a a little side note for your favorite band there. You're one of your favorite bands, Blink-182. <laughs> What's the lead singer's name? Uh, Tom DeLong, and then there's Mark Hoppus. Do you know about his involvement in um, the space race? No. Something some about him looking for aliens, though. He's always um, been. Yeah, I just watched this whole documentary on. Um, it's a legit documentary, so, you know, you know, I'm not like some. Conspiracy theorist? Yeah, is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. But it's actually, uh, it's on Paramount. I think it's on Showtime or something like that. And it's actually about 
you know, in the last few years, the government's been releasing materials about everything they've found. And I had no idea that Tom was like part of this whole space movement, you know? Yeah, like, su like super, like, aliens are like two days away from coming to see us. Like, he's like, yeah, he's, he's part, he's always been into that, like, yeah. hardcore. Like, that's I, what I, can, I can feel you giggling right now, Reese, but after you watch this documentary, man, I was like, uh -oh. like, what the fuck I'm like, what his whole like angels like, airway like, like, was shit that, shit that they've just covered up because they don't want people in fear people you know okay. going oh my god it's like but there's shit that that this has that happened that the government's been like yeah we can't explain that we're it wasn't a spacecraft that we were testing you know I mean, i'd rather hear i'd rather hear conspiracy theories like that than some of the other stuff i have to hear but you're it's an like, alien, John, aren't you? I knew it. You're what? a fucking alien. Yeah. I Is am. that what's going on? Is that why you're trying to... He's like, yes. Like, man, my 23 came back and I'm not even human. Yeah, I know. I just thought I'm I not, I'm not human. I'm not human and I'm not dancer. So well, that's why you're, you're you know, following Blink-182, right? Because Tom's your, your overlord. <laughs> yes. He's going to lead us to the promised land. Yes. The lyrics actually have hidden messages, right? <laughs> all right no i uh, i just thought that'd be interesting i just I, I, it's really good i recommend it highly it's it's a good thing um, you know what it was called ufo it's it's UFO, okay. it explains why they've changed identified flying object to like now they have a whole other science word for it now i can't remember what it was and they show the stuff that you know because of like technology now they can film things and catch things a lot easier and but then like some of the stuff they kind of explain that yeah it was probably drones you know and like they they legitimize it. They're like that was probably them testing this new drone. This was not, you know. Like there, there's things that they can't question and things that they can, you know. And well, but it shows the amount of money that is spent to cover it up and the amount of money now that they're using to like fund research. So another little weird side note, real quick though, is I seen a I don't know if it's true or not, but there was a big article that came out. I don't, it was the Washington Post or something. There is a science. They're talking about how. They can actually pull electricity from any material now. Mm -hmm. like they're at the point now where they can kind of pull electricity kind of out of thin air. Wow. In, in a sense. So I don't know if that's like what, uh, what's the name? Is it Tesla? Nikolai Tesla back in the day? That's kind of what he was Something working like on. Something like that, yeah. People have conspiracy theories where they think they took him out because he kind of knew too much in that Well, sense. they said that Bell was kind of involved with that or what I think it was Bell. Was it always comes down to business. Yeah. It was just we cool. can continue on with the conspiracy theories. No, no, no. I was a little side note. You got me thinking about the UFO thing. I was like, oh, maybe they are able to have that aircraft. We're supposed to pull one of the flags off the wall here. They have like yeah. a blackboard with all the the strings and the pictures. Which we, uh, the what movie, is, is the it always like, sunny? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's actually dropping a, a movie, uh, Charlie Day, that he oh, yeah? directed that has like a shit ton of people in it, including his horrible bosses, co-stars, and I think even a couple of his uh, sunny... Uh, but it's be interesting. Like, nowadays like you either see those ensemble movies or you just see another superhero movie it's just like it's kind of weird uh even really is in it i think it was really Oda's last movie so yeah. really wow like the only movies i even go to anymore like when they replay like the big lebowski for like the 25th yeah. anniversary stuff like that mm -hmm. i think like in two weeks from now they have like the grateful dead yearly movie so like they'll be playing like their soldier field 90 and then there's a documentary coming out here also in a couple weeks that talks about the guy that created he's well known for the pink floyd albums but he created uh like a shit ton of like record albums obviously his artwork that artist that created all that oh storm uh thurgerson yeah that's coming out in the theaters too so you know it's actually getting some like advertisement and stuff now too i've been seeing it pop up here and there but i mean my buddy one of my buddies here is going to go see that i'm sorry i don't have the title look it up though you'll know what i'm talking about I love stuff like that. I like any any kind of music documentary that dives into the creation of things. And that's one thing I was talking to a guy at work the other day was, you know, artwork and albums. You don't, you don't, it's like, it is pieces of art that you get to appreciate now. You know, some stand out more than others, but when you like, we're now when I, when you see, like, I don't know what kind of streaming service you guys have, but for like Apple, you know, they kind of do this picture and then it kind of like does things, you know, like it's like almost like a, a video and it, it's almost three dimensional and stuff sometimes. And uh, the, like on any of the albums that, that come out now, especially if they're a big artist, a big name artist, they definitely spend a lot of money on the, you know, the actual logo for that album on the streaming services to stick out you know when you hit that that album and it kind of does some kind of neat stuff it's cool when you be able to hold like a cd or an album back in the day it was neat to see some of the most memorable stuff that'd be a great podcast to do at some point is just talk about some of the great artwork that's out there that yeah, like an album cover, like maybe top 10 album covers or something like that. Yeah. Well, 
but people would say like dark side because of the you know, all the, the but there's a lot of stuff out there that people are unaware of that was either yeah. controversial at the time or yeah but i mean that's what's interesting having the three of us versus like or even getting like one of your friends there like getting somebody in and maybe getting like three or four people to discuss it kind of even like thinking of like like Fleetwood Mac, I mean that rumored album with Stevie and uh Mick on the cover is a very memorable, you know, album cover stands Rumors, out. Yeah, I mean, uh, then they also had even their first album that had yeah Fleetwood Mac, not their first yeah Fleetwood, well not their first album, it's like their seventh or eighth, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, that, was, that one I think had, down the road one time. I know we did quite a bit here, and and uh, I want to thank. Uh, Mr. Reese Argo and Mr. John Turner. And sure. yeah, I hope to do this again. We can go on and down these rabbit holes, man. We just go all over the damn place, man. We can't keep it straight as much as we want to try. <laughs> we can never do that, you know, but that's what makes it interesting. We're number one on the ADHD podcast. Yeah. So there you go. we're. There you go. we're good. But we got topics. Yeah, I think that's for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Well, there you go, folks. Part two of the episode with Mr. JT Money and Mr. Reese Argo. I am your host, Johnny, and if you would like to get a hold of me or get a hold of any of my affiliates here, you can do so at ozomat87 at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me through Instagram at John Evans slash Johnny Evans. Also, the Music Seeds Instagram account. Also, on Facebook at MusicMadeSeeds at Facebook.com. There's also a Snapchat out there with Johnny Evans. I would love to hear from you. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Always enjoy the emails and the messages through the social media. I hope everyone has enjoyed their summer. It's coming down, winding down. Still got a few more concerts to go to. And if you could do just one favor for me folks out there, please do your best to take care of each other. Until next time. Hi, this is Johnny. I'm your host, and you are listening to Music Seeds. The music that made us. <laughs>